What an exciting Sunday to be together. Thank you, praise band. <clears throat> so, big Sunday uh, for a lot of people. We had uh, an adult and some students take the next step saying, yeah, I'm a follower of, Je- a follower of Jesus. He commands me to get baptized. I'm going to do that. I'm going to show you guys. So we need to help keep them accountable, right? We've got some students that are going to be graduating here in a few hours, which is very exciting, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be also much warmer today than it has been the last few days, which is pretty typical for graduation Sunday, right? Yeah. So, there's a lot we want to accomplish this morning. Um, one is we want to celebrate the graduates. We want to celebrate who you guys are, who God has created you to become. And we want to um, talk about something called uh, mediocrity. right? Mediocrity in the Christian faith is something I would describe as you're just following Jesus, but you're not also making disciples. You're following Jesus, which is awesome, but you're not making disciples as he commands us to do. So we want to talk about eliminating mediocrity in the Christian life. I also want to challenge all of us, myself included, all of us as the body of Christ that resides at First Baptist Church to be the church that God wants us to be, to be his beautiful bride that he's coming back for someday. And uh, specifically for you graduates, your parents are not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Your small group leader wasn't the Holy Spirit. Uh, There is one Holy Spirit, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. So it's going to be so important for you over the next few months to be making sure that you're in God's Word, you're praying, you're knowing what God's will is for you, um, because it's a big deal. We want to celebrate you guys. Um, So what advice would you give? What advice would you give to people that are taking this great step of graduating? For those of you that have already graduated, which are quite a number of you in here, what did your graduation speech sound like? Do you remember anybody? That's okay. You won't remember this one either. That's fine. I'm okay with that, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a big thing to remember. Um, so let's kind of look at what God says to us as graduates, to us as the body of Christ. I don't want it to just be only graduates that are listening because there's more of you than them in here. So let's all make sure we're listening um, to God's word and seeing what he has for us. So we've got four points if you're keeping track. The first one is the longest one, so don't worry. The first one is make disciple makers. Make disciple makers. If you're not intentionally making disciples like God has called you to do, then you're not living the life that God has for you. If you're not making disciples the way Jesus has showed us to, then you're not becoming the person God wants you to be. If I took you into a building, and I was like, you want to go see this really cool car factory? They build like the the craziest cars you've ever seen. The fastest, the prettiest cars. Let's go see it. And I take you into this building, and there's like four or five cars parked there, and you're looking around, and you're like, well doesn't look like a factory. I just see cars. I don't see any machinery to create these cars. Where did you take me? This seems a lot more like a garage. But I'm like, no, no, for real. They build all these incredible cars here. You just can't see any of the stuff here, right? You're not going to be convinced that it's a car factory. You're going to be convinced, no, Jeremy, you're a fool. This is a garage. 
If this is a building that you say they create cars in, and they don't create cars in them, they just park them in there, you're in a garage, right? And I'm living a delusion, correct? So I think sometimes that's the way it is with, uh, with churches. If we're not making disciples the way God wants us to, then are, are we just a garage for people to come in and sit down? We can say we make disciples, that's our mission, but if we're not making disciples like we say we are, then what are we doing? That's a challenge to me. That's a challenge to you. Um, we've got this sign-up uh, on Wednesday night, if you've ever been here. It's a crazy night of ministry with children and youth and adults, and it's awesome. I would encourage you, if you're not involved serving on a Wednesday night here and you've got some time, come and serve. It's great. But we have these signs up that say, walk, or there will be consequences. Right? Because kids run around, people get crazy, people get hurt. That's a great sign. We don't, people, we don't want people to get hurt. But at the same time, I think there should be a sign right there next to it, a little bit bigger, a little bit bolder, that says, make disciples or there will be consequences. Right? Baptisms don't just happen. A generation of people don't turn their back on God overnight. We need to make sure that we are discipling people. Churches don't die overnight. Right? If we are making disciples what God has called us to do, then we're going to grow. So are you making disciples? Am I making disciples? I've got this right here. Does anybody know what this is? It's not a prison shank. I didn't get it from Tommy. No, this, this is a flosser. This is a flosser. And to me, these are very important because I can't use the dental floss that they give you because you get it wrapped around your fingers and it's like too tight or it's too loose, and you drop it, and it's just like, this is not working right. So these are a godsend, right? So growing up, <laughs> growing up, uh, going to the dentist office, there was this sign, and it said, you don't have to floss all your teeth. And I would see that part, and I'd be like, this is awesome, I don't have to floss them all? Okay, good, because I don't like flossing. And then you read lower, and it says, just the ones you want to keep. And then I think to myself as a child, well, I'd like to keep all my teeth, right? And you would like to keep all of your teeth. I think that's kind of a good parallel to making disciples and the importance of Jesus' command. I think what we could substitute in there, if you will, we could say, make disciples. You don't have to make disciples of every family member, of every church person you see, of every neighbor, of every coworker, of every stranger you see in the community. You don't have to disciple them. You only have to disciple the ones you want Jesus to keep. Because our call is not just to get people saved, which is awesome. We want that to happen. Our call is to disciple people, to help people mature in their walk with Christ. So you don't have to disciple your kids that you want, or you don't have to disciple all your kids, just the ones you want Jesus to keep, right? Just the ones you want to see following Jesus. And that's not to say if you're a great parent and you disciple them that they're not going to walk away. Right? I think we've all seen statistics that talk about when you guys walk away from graduation, you walk away from the church. And I'll get to that in a few minutes here. But the question is, where is God calling you to make disciples? Where is God calling me to make disciples? First with my family, then with students, and with my neighbors, right? So you've got to prayerfully ask God, who do you want yourselves to be discipling? So where do we get this crazy idea to make disciple-makers? For some of you, you've not been here before and you're like, disciple? What does that word even mean? 
A disciple is just like uh, somebody being trained to do something. In this case, it's training people to be a follower of Jesus, mature and complete, lacking nothing. So we get it from Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I've got it up there for you. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So making disciples isn't something that uh, I'm trying to tell you to do. It's something that God has commanded us to do. Ashley is a part of this fun, awesome, outreachy ministry called Kids Hope here at First Baptist. Where um, some church members can get one hour with one student each week um, at Jefferson School. So it's really an incredible ministry. Um, on this particular Friday a few weeks ago, Ashley was going, and I always watch the kids, my crazy kids. I watch the kids while she's going and talking um, to her kids' hope kid. And uh, on this particular Friday, Abby had a doctor appointment. So it was right after Kids Hope got done. So Ashley said, okay, when I get back, I want you to have Abby ready so that I can just come home, scoop her up, and go to the doctor's appointment and not be late, right? It's good, right? So here's what happened. So Ashley leaves, and I'm looking at the time. I'm like, I just want to hang out with my kids because I love hanging out with my kids. So we hang out. We eat some breakfast together. I look at the time again, and I'm like... I still got some time. So I look around. I'm like, you know what Ashley would love? If I vacuumed the upstairs. She would love that more than anything. So I'm going, to, I'm going to vacuum the upstairs. So I did that. And I looked at the dishes. I was like, there's some dirty dishes. She would be so pleased with me if I washed these dirty dishes. Right? So I washed some dishes. I looked at the clock. And I was like, I better get Abby ready. Right? So I changed her diaper, I get her clothes on, didn't finish the dishes, I got her strapped into her car seat so when Ashley came home, she could just come in and scoop her up, right? That's what happened. But what would have happened if Ashley got home and she was like, okay, is Abby ready to go? Because I've got to get her to the doctor appointment. I'm like, babe, check this out. I vacuumed all the floors upstairs. Doesn't it look awesome? She's like, uh, I've got to get Abby to a doctor appointment. I'm like, babe, you don't understand. I washed the dishes for you. Isn't that nice of me to do? What a great husband. And she's like, but I I really need Abby to be ready to go to the doctor appointment. I'm like, babe, here's what I did. You told me what to do. You said, make sure Abby's ready by the time I get home. I texted it out to all my friends. I said, what do you think Ashley means by this? It seems really important. Right? I'm like, babe, I got it tattooed on my arm. The command from you was so important, I, I, I got it tattooed on my flesh. I'm never going to forget it. She'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, no, you don't understand. I memorized it in the original language that you gave it to me in. Wow, right? She'd be like, Jeremy, you are foolish. I just wanted you to have Abby ready for her doctor appointment so that we would be on time and she'd be taken care of. I think all too often that's the way we treat Jesus' words specifically in Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples. And we say, cool, we've got all this fun stuff going on. You want to come? Sure, yeah. 
Jesus comes back and he's like, so what did you do with my command? Well, Jesus, you don't understand. We had so many Bible studies talking about what we thought it meant to make disciples. Isn't that awesome? And he'd be like, I'm glad you studied my word, but what did you do with my command? It's pretty clear. My command says, go and make disciples. I think too many times that's what we do with Jesus' words. We say, those are neat, those are nice, maybe there's more meaning to it, let's talk about it. I'm not going to actually do it, I'm just going to talk about it. But I think just like Ashley wouldn't have been okay with me just talking about getting Abby ready, I think Jesus isn't okay with us just talking about making disciples. We're supposed to actually do it. That's why it's a command. So a mediocre Christian life is one where we don't make disciple makers. A lukewarm Christian, somebody just following Jesus, not making disciples like we're called to do. So for you guys specifically, is there an individual or a couple that you and your husband need to disciple? People that you know know Jesus and need to get, um, get more mature in their faith with him? I would encourage you to pray about it. That's what Jesus did before he started his ministry. He went away for 40 days into the wilderness and he prayed, just getting ready for what was going to happen. And then he prayed more to decide which people he was going to choose. He still chose Judas, right? He had, to, he had to accomplish something that the other ones weren't going to accomplish for him. So he prayed about it. I encourage you, before just choosing somebody to disciple, stop and ask God, Hey God, please show me who I'm supposed to disciple. I realize it's a command. It's not the easiest thing to do. But please show me who I can disciple to further your kingdom. That's what this is all about. So Jesus gave you, gave you the command. He gave me the command. What are we doing it? What are we doing with it? Is your idea of discipling your family, praying at every meal? That is awesome. That is a great start. I would encourage you to read the Bible with your family. Build into your family a culture that is different than the one we live in. A culture that is one that studies God's word together, that prays together. For our family, what we tried to start doing was reading the Bible before dinner time. That didn't work too well, because we hungry, right? We all sit down, and it's like, okay, let's read the Bible together. We've got this sweet Jesus storybook Bible we read, and uh, we're just too hungry. So that, that's not good enough, right? We can't just say, Jesus, I'm too hungry to read your word with my kids. We tried it, it didn't work. We can't make disciples like this. So instead, what we do now, what works for us is after the kids are all ready for bed, we go into their room, we've got this corner with a bunch of pillows we sit in, we call it like the, the Bible nook, and we just go there and we read together, which is awesome, and we pray. And we pray with them throughout the day as things come up. I, I encourage Isaac to pray, actually encourages Isaac to pray, and it's a really awesome thing just seeing the culture shift in his mind of, if something's going on, I need to pray about it. If I get hurt, I need to pray about it. But now is the time when uh, the person up front will typically tell you a horror story about making disciples. They'll say something to the effect of, Oh my gosh, last night, 3 o'clock in the morning, somebody called me and they needed help. Blah, 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 right? That's not what this is about. There are emergencies that happen and we should help people in that, but that's not the norm. Good ministry can happen in emergencies, but the best ministry happens when there is a constant ministry happening to people. It's something we all read about when we were little, right? The tortoise and the hare. We forget that. We forget that the tortoise wins because he's slow and steady. He's not like the rabbit that just 
freaks out and jumps around and gets where he thinks he needs to go and rests. It's, it's about ministry being a marathon, not a sprint. The tortoise wins the race, and I don't know if you would have thought I would have said that uh, on Sunday morning. There you go. Tortoise wins the race, you guys. Um, so, emergencies happen, and we need to be there, but what are we doing on a daily basis to disciple people? That's going to be what makes the biggest difference. Um, Disciple-making, though, is the hard and messy work that people don't like to talk about. But in making disciples of our students, we're seeing them become leaders in the youth ministry. We're seeing them become leaders in the church whole, church as a whole here. The second step, or the second point, the first one is make disciple-makers, right? That was the longest, so bear with me. So make disciple-makers. We need to be about what God wants us to be about. The second one is thrive in persecution. Thrive in persecution. Um, I've been laughed at for following Jesus a few weeks ago. Somebody laughed at me because I told him the gospel, and he's like, <laughs> okay. That's the worst that's happened to me. So for you guys, you're going to be um, entering what could be the largest place of persecution for you that you've ever faced in Christianity. Um, so you're, you might get laughed at. You might get punched. You might get flunked. If you've got a job, you might get fired. Okay. In the scheme of eternity, do those things matter? If we're following Jesus and doing what he calls us to do, telling him about him and our faith is growing, does it matter if we're being persecuted? There's this book I read called The Insanity of God. It's a pretty crazy book. There's this guy that goes around the world to these different places where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And he kind of interviews tons of them and just asks, so what is it that gets you guys through this persecution? So he goes to all these different countries um, one of the stories was about a guy who was in prison for 17 years for following Jesus. Every day, a jailer would come and say, you know what? You can just get out of here if you say you don't believe in Jesus. And he didn't do it. 17 years. College is four, unless you're a doctor, or you want to take more years and you change your major, right? That's fine. You can do what you want. Um, but 17 years, this guy said, I'm not turning my back on Jesus. I'm not going to. One of the craziest stories that I heard in that book was this dad. He knew he was going to be going to jail the next day for following Jesus. And he sat his family down the night before, and this is crazy. He sat his family down the night before, and he said, While I'm in prison, if I hear that my wife and my kids were hanged for following Jesus, I will be the proudest man in that prison. That is amazing. Do we have that kind of faith in God that says, it doesn't matter what the heck my kids want to do with their life, if they're following Jesus, go. Do we have that faith in Jesus that says, if they're following Jesus, God's got their back. They can go wherever he's calling them. As sure as the sun rises in the east, persecution is a part of faith for those of us that are followers of Jesus not in the United States. We've got a weird thing going on here where we're not persecuted beyond being laughed at for the most part. Some of our rights are being taken away, but they don't have rights. The people I was reading about in that book, they don't have rights to worship God. They do it because they do it, because God wants them to. 
if they choose to do that. Um, James 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this. Brian touched on this last week. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And that is our prayer for you guys. Expect persecution and come out stronger. Follow Jesus even harder when you get laughed at. The church in China, um, the guy that, that wrote the book was saying that they have such joy in the persecution. It's not, oh my gosh, I have to suffer for Jesus. It's, I get to suffer for Jesus. In the grand scheme of eternity, that's not going to matter. What matters is if they take my life away, I'm with him forever. Do we have that faith? Thrive in persecution. Is your faith in the one true God, the author and creator of life? Or is it just some stories that you heard in youth group or at church that, that aren't yours? You don't own your faith yet. We're going to find out. You're going to find out. And we pray that your faith grows stronger through this persecution. A house church leader in China, he said this to a reporter. He said, stop praying for persecution in China to end. For it is through persecution that the church has grown. College campuses are often hostile to following Jesus, which means they are ripe for Jesus to transform them. Will you be part of this transformation? In the Middle East, there's people that go door to door finding Christians and murdering them and imprisoning them. Who does that? Yeah, who is it? Persians, interesting. What do you think? Who is it? Who do you think I'm talking about? ISIS? No, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul went door to door finding Christians, sending them to prison, and murdering them. If the Apostle Paul was ripe for transformation when he met Jesus and he turned his life around and wrote half the New Testament, that's awesome. Could you imagine if ISIS did the same exact thing? If they find Jesus and instead of persecuting and murdering Christians, they say, you know what, we were wrong. We were wrong. This Jesus is real. He is alive. We're going to, instead of killing Christians, we're going to try to make more Christians than we've ever seen. That's something we can pray for. That would be an incredible testimony to the faith that I have, to the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And we can pray for that to happen. So we pray for you guys to be faithful and obedient through this persecution that's coming up. And God doesn't need you to accomplish his will, but he'll use you if you're willing to die to yourself and do his will for you. And I'm not going to ask you, so what are you doing with your life? Have you guys ever gotten that question before? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably many, many times in the last few weeks, months, maybe even years. I'm going to ask you, what is your next step? Before this persecution comes, can you look at your life and say, okay, what is it that I need to do more of? What is it that I need to brush up on before I go to school? Are there more um, people I need to have praying for me? that I can email or text whenever things are getting hard. I need to build um, a group of accountability partners to help me during this next step. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 34, it says this. 
It says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I think they can kind of describe a lot of the advice that you guys are given. Okay, get the best paying job you can find. You can have the nicest car, the nicest house, and have a great family. I'm not going to tell you to do that. I'm going to tell you to seek first God's kingdom. God has gifted you guys in specific ways to further his kingdom in different ways. So I'm not going to say grow wings and fly. You can be whatever you want to be. But somebody probably will today to you. (laughs) Don't make fun of them. That's fine. So what I'm saying is, you can't be whoever you want to be. You can be whoever God has designed you to be. And it's only through finding that purpose that you're going to find fulfillment in this life. So do what God has called you to do. Lead people the way that God has called you to lead people. And that's where you're going to see the biggest impact in your life. That's where you're going to find fulfillment. Not in a job, not in a family, not in a house, certainly not in a car payment, right? So do what God has called you to do. Um, For me, it was crazy. Isaac was about 17 months old, and he had this seizure. I was downstairs exercising, and Ashley's like, "Ah, Jeremy, get up here. So I came upstairs, and Isaac's face was blue, his lips were blue, and he wasn't breathing. And it was terrifying. So I called 911, which took like 25 seconds to do. Have you ever tried dialing 911 in an actual emergency? It's like 911, 911, you can't do it right. And it's so frustrating. So maybe put it on like a Siri, dial 911, right? Maybe just do that, and hopefully she doesn't call my phone right now. Um, yeah, so it's, it's terrifying when there's an emergency trying to dial 911. But, but here's what happened. We get him in the ambulance. I run downstairs to grab some clothes because I was in some exercising clothes I didn't want to wear to the hospital. So I grab these clothes, I look in the mirror, and I've got tears on my face, and I'm like, God, Isaac is yours. He is not mine. He is first and foremost yours. Help me to be a good steward with him, but do whatever you want with him to further your kingdom. That is a terrifying prayer. But as parents, that is a necessary prayer if we want to see our kids flourish. If we want to see Jesus use our kids to further his kingdom, that has to be our prayer. It's not easy, but let's pray it together. So yeah, the, the second point is thrive in persecution. Things are going to get hard, but you can pull through if you've got Jesus right there by you. Thrive in persecution. The third one is this. Follow Jesus. Know his voice. Follow Jesus. Know his voice. In Psalm 23, we read about how he is the good shepherd. He leads us beside still waters. He, he gives us rest. He gives us what we need. In John 10, we read about how His voice is the one we need to hear. We read about how he's speaking our name and we need to follow him. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, to us over here in the West. But when you look at East versus Western shepherds, it makes a whole lot more sense. So when I think about sheep, I think about these dogs that are going to like guide these sheep. They're going to like force them to get where the shepherd wants them to get, right? Maybe you've got that same image too. You've got an, an image of people just forcing this stuff to happen. In the East, shepherding is way different. 
the shepherding Jesus would have been talking about is way different. There's these shepherds that love their sheep. They would lay down their lives, their life for their sheep, which sounds crazy to us. They would lay down their life for their sheep, and the sheep knew their voice. What happened would be at, the, at, at night, to keep all of them safe, they'd, there'd be multiple shepherds that would put their flocks together in the same pasture with fences around that keep guard, right? So then obviously the sheep are going to be intermingled and mixed and whatever. So then the next day, to get their sheep, the shepherds would just call their sheep by name. They would just, the sheep would hear their voice, and they'd go wherever the shepherd was. Which is such a different image of Jesus to me. Jesus is calling to you guys. Jesus is calling to us. Are we listening to him? He's not going to kick us and punch us most of the time to get us where he wants us to go. Sometimes maybe you felt the punch. I have. But for the most part, it's going to be this voice that is calling you to do what you know you need to do. So do you know the Father's voice, graduates? And do you know the promptings of the Spirit living inside you? Because that's going to be what gets you through college. The fourth point is this, the last one. Get connected. Don't give up on the church. Get connected. Don't give up on the church. I was talking to another graduate, and he was saying that, or he had already graduated, and he said some of his best advice would be get connected to a church in the first couple weeks that you're at school. That's a great idea. And he would also say get connected to um, a Christian community that's on campus at your school. So you can get to know fellow followers of Jesus and um, they can help keep you accountable because you are going to be able to text your friends and family from home. But if you've got somebody that's right there with you, maybe even uh, your roommate that you know can help keep you accountable, help you follow Jesus, that's going to be the best. Um, One of your presents uh, we're going to give you is a $10 Starbucks gift card. But here's what it's for. (laughs) On the back it says, Follow Jesus. And what we want you to do is find somebody in the first week that you're at school that you see following Jesus. And you say, you know what? You want to grab some coffee together? It's on me. I just want to talk to you about how I can keep following Jesus in college. So don't spend it on your girlfriend, right? (laughs) Wait and use it on college. Because that's going to be a huge impact to find somebody that's already at the school you're at that's following Jesus that can help disciple you while you're there. There's a picture I want to draw your attention to. Anybody know what that is? It's The Starry Night, yeah, by Vincent Vonga. Is, I think, how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's how we pronounce it. So Vincent Van Gogh. And uh, one of the interesting things is that Vincent was actually a missionary. I didn't know that until a few months ago. I was reading a book about it. He was a missionary. His dad was a pastor. I didn't know that either. Maybe you knew that, and I'm just out of the loop. (laughs) So his dad's a pastor. He's a missionary. The church that sent him out, they went to see what he was doing a few months in. And they found him, and he was dirty. He wasn't living in a very good place. He was living with the people he was ministering to. He was living among the people he was preaching Jesus to, which happened to be coal miners. So when I look at that, I say, wow, that's awesome. He's willing to say, I don't need a nice apartment or a house to live in. I don't need the fanciest clothes. I just need to do life with the people that God has called me to. I can look at that and say, wow, Vincent, that's, 
That's sweet. But what the church did was they saw him and they said, you don't look like a pastor. You're not living in a place that's very nice, so you're not giving us a very good name, so we're going to go ahead, go ahead and pull funding from you. Which is dumbfounding, right? It shouldn't be about what we wear. It shouldn't be about what we look like. It should be about are we making disciples who make disciples. From what I've read, Vincent was making disciples who make disciples, but the church couldn't get past the way that looked, and they pulled the funding. So if you look at this picture you'll kind of notice that there's a lot of yellow in there that kind of pops. So what Vincent used the color yellow for was to, to show people the love of God, right? So it's, that's pretty dim. So over here, the, uh, the yellow, it just kind of pops. And you see it all over. You see it in the sky, in the stars, in the moon. You look at the houses, and you see it in the houses. So he sees the love of God emanating from these places. When you look at the church... It's dark. It's cold. Why we think he did that is because he didn't see the love of God in the church. He could see the love of God. He could see the the gloriousness of God in the sky. He could see it in other people, but he didn't see it from the church. So obviously, the glory of God, the love of God as a light shining from our church, it doesn't happen from sweet light bulbs. It happens from us. So it comes back to us. Are we showing people the love of Jesus like he calls us to? Or are we just taking up space at a place on a block in Pekin, Illinois? Are we just taking up space at work? Are we taking up space in our neighborhoods? Are we being bright lights for Jesus? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get laughed at. You're going to make Jesus look foolish. But are you picking yourself back up and saying, God, I made a fool of you, but I'm going to continue showing people the love of Jesus. So Vincent, he gave up on the church, it seems. We don't want you guys to give up on church. The church is messy, but the church is beautiful. You're going to get your feelings hurt, but God is right there with you. So get connected. Don't give up on the church. So for, for everyone in here, I have a question. It is what people were instrumental in shaping your spiritual life? What people discipled you? What people mentored you in the Christian faith? I want you to think about it. I want you to talk about it at lunch today. If you have kids or if it's just more adults, talk about that. Talk about what was different about those relationships with people that chose to influence you for Jesus. Talk about that at lunch today. Think of their names. What made them different? I have a neighbor that lives down the street that uh, doesn't follow Jesus. I met with him a few times. He's the one that laughed at me for following Jesus. And what happened was he saw people from churches that claimed to be followers of Jesus that didn't treat him well. They judged his external appearance, and he turned his back on Jesus. He turned his back on the church which is super unfortunate. Now he worships Satan, which is kind of the exact opposite, right? But that's, that's the power that we have as followers of Jesus. The way that we treat people, 
can convince people that Jesus doesn't exist way more than the words that we use. We can tell people we love Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, so we're blue in the face. But if they don't see it, if they don't feel it from us, then it doesn't matter what we're saying. So let's make sure that as the body of Christ, we're encouraging these graduates to not give up on the church. Don't give them a reason to give up on the church because we're not showing them love. Let's give them a reason to stay connected, to show them what followers of Jesus look like. Um, one of the ways um, you guys could do that is by adopting a graduate. Not by like actually having them stay with you, but after the, uh, after the service today, maybe ask, hey, can I have your phone number? Can I have your email so I can get a hold of you and just kind of keep in touch a little bit, let you know I'm praying for you? Maybe send them a care package. There's nothing better than getting a care package a couple months into school. That's something that uh, the women's ministry and my dad's church did for me. And it was just incredible to think about these ladies that got together and made some goodies and gave us some candy bars and had some notes in there. They were just so encouraging, knowing that they had my back, knowing that they were there for me. That's huge. So I would encourage you, send a care package, get a hold of a graduate, let them know that you're praying for them. Um, the, the, the last four steps, again, just to repeat them for you. One is make disciple makers. So make disciple makers, guys. Thrive in persecution. It's going to get hard, but you can come out way stronger than you were before you got in there. Follow Jesus and know his voice. Make sure you're listening to the right voices. There are going to be so many voices coming at you, telling you what to think, what's true, what's false. Listen to Jesus, his voice above everyone else's. And the last one is get connected. Don't give up on the church. In that first week, be looking for somebody to mentor you, to disciple you while you're on the college campus. Find a good church around your college campus that you can go to and get connected in. And celebrate today. Celebrate today because there's been a lot of hard work that has gone into you guys getting those little pieces of paper today when you're drenched with sweat. And there's been so many prayers and hours poured into that from parents and grandparents. So this is a great victory that we can all celebrate with you guys. And we can say, we're praying for you. We can't wait to see how God uses you guys. Just do what he calls you to do and come back and tell us about it, right?